podcast. Tuesday nights. Today, we discuss the one thing, the one big thing that keeps more people out of the kingdom of God than anything else. We're going to talk about it today. Plus, we got to talk about the news because there's a serious problem and we're going to expose it today in the news media. And uh, this is, unfortunately, the last deep end of the year. So I'm going to be answering one of your questions. Welcome into your favorite night of the week. This is the D- Deep End with Tim Hatch. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome, welcome in. It's Tuesday night. It's 7 p.m. It's deep end time. It's deep end time. Uh, Hand up emoji if this is your favorite time of the week. Right there, down below in the comments. My name is Tim, and welcome in for what is the last deep end of 2020. And... Yeah, let's let's get 2020 in our rearview mirror as fast as possible. Who's with me on that? Um, by the way, if you would do me the favor of visiting thedeepend.tv or checking out all of our social media pages, most of them are the Deep End TV, except for Twitter, it's just Deep End TV. Follow, like, and subscribe. Also, as usual, please do this. Please click that on YouTube. That's the thumbs up. Click the subscribe button. It doesn't have the beard, but. Click it anyway, and then the notification bell. That lets you know when we are live on all of your devices, and you never miss an episode, and you never miss when we're live. So welcome in one more time. I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, my name is Tim. I've got a book coming out, by the way. It's called Move. It's available March 2021, but you can check it out at timhatchlive.com slash books, timhatchlive.com slash books. Uh, make sure you pre-order today. So there is, um, there, there, there's a bunch of problems uh, with the news media in our country. I don't think I have to tell you this. Uh, and if you listen to the deep end at all, you know that I have a problem with the news media. They lie to you constantly. They lie about who's lying. Just let me say that again. They lie about who's lying and they cover for the liars. And we, we, we need to talk about this. This is a serious problem. Uh, there's good news out there if we can only find it. Right. And <laughs> that's my job. My job as a pastor is to shepherd the people of God into the truth. And there's just too many lies out there. There's just not enough shepherds. This is why Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into his harvest field so that we could bring his people out of the harassment of the liars and the scornful and bring them into the truth and the good news of Jesus Christ. But let's talk about the news news. And that brings me to one of my favorite segments on the deep end. It's deep end news. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's what's going on in the news of today. First, some good news. Some good news, and that's what I like to do on the deep end, uh, bring you some good news. Oh, oh, before we get there, do you like my shirt? <laughs> I don't know if you can read it. It says, if you, if you say happy holidays, okay, I will punch you in the face. That's what my shirt says for all of those of you who are listening on the podcast. Make sure you, you check us out on youtube.com slash deep end TV, and you can watch the video. Um, I bought this shirt at the Babylon Bee because the Babylon Bee is pretty much as accurate as the news media out there, the um, secular news media. And the Babylon Bee, I encourage you to go over there. It's, it's an onion for Christians, the onion news site for Christians, satire news. It's not real news. I bought this shirt from them. Shout out Babylon Bee. Anyway, good news for 2020. Well, actually bad news for everybody except one group of people. And I want to put up on the screen here, This is the uh, Gallup News poll results of America's mental health state year over year from 2019 to 2020. This is phenomenal. Let me put a big screen. This is phenomenal because year over year from 2019 to 2020, what's the change? Okay, what's the change? Every single group went down in their mental health for 2020. Particularly, of course, Republicans, because they lost the White House (laughs) Uh, and every other group. But there is one group, one, one group that went positive. Those who attend religious services weekly. A net gain 
of four points in mental health. Point proven here. Going to church is good for your your whole being and especially for your mind, right? This is why Ephesians talks about the unbelievers are darkened in their mind and understanding. They're corrupt in their thoughts, okay? Some of you think going to church is just being religious. No, it's, it's actually getting your mind right. I think about that passage in Romans chapter 1. In their thinking, they became fools and they worshiped the creation instead of the creator, and then God handed them over to their worship and their lust and all of their faulty desires. Man without God goes insane. I will say it again. You can hashtag, hashtag that, tweet it. Man without God goes insane. So it's just, I'm just so amazed at the results of this survey. Get to church. This is why I refuse to close our church again. I refuse, mostly because the news is fake and lying about everything, including COVID, and most most mostly is because it's good for your health. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because it does bring joy. Of course, you got to go to the right church, right? You got to go to the right church. You can't go to one of those churches where it's all law. It's all legalism. It's all, you know, women should wear dresses and men should wear ties. And, you know, they're about as happy as uh, some of these people in news media. <laughs> you know, you want to go to church that preaches the good news of Jesus Christ, that talks about how God saves sinners, right? How, how is about Jesus, not Merry Christmas, uh, not Happy Holidays, but Merry Christmas. Anyway, some more good news, and, and we're going to continue on with this. The, the news is out from the New York Times, 3 million sh- doses of the vaccine for coronavirus have been shipped. And it is December what? December 15th. It's December 15th, friends. Now, this is why I'm pressing in here because I'm old enough to remember seven months ago when the news media lied to us and said things like, it's impossible for us to get a vaccine by the end of the year. Because why? Because who said it? Who said it that made them so upset that it could be possible? Trump. Trump says one thing and they immediately say, the opposite, because they just can't stand this man. They are, they are blind with rage and hatred. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. Let me just remind you, this is from an article May 15th, seven months ago. Yes, is that seven months ago? May, uh, June, July, August, September, October, November, seven months ago. Here's the, here's the headline. Trump promises coronavirus vaccine by end of year, but his own experts temper expectations. Let me give you another example. NPR. September 16th, so three months ago. Contradicting the CDC, Trump says COVID-19 vaccine could be ready by the end of the year. Contradicting who? The CDC. Oh, yes, the CDC knows all. They say no by the end of the year. Trump said yes. Guess what? Trump was right. Or NBCnews.com. This is also back in May of 2020. Check this out. Fact check, and this is NBC News, fact check, coronavirus vaccine by the way i hate fact check i hate those two words fact check (laughs) anyway fact check coronavirus vaccine could come this year trump says experts experts say he needs a miracle to be right i'm so happy to bring these news articles to your attention from seven months ago, three months ago, all the people who decried the positive message that Trump had been expressing over and over again about the hopes for the coronavirus vaccine to be out. And now here it is. Here it is. It's coming out. Here it is available to us. And they can't even be happy about this. <laughs> they, have to, they have to slam him for the fact that he's calling them out for uh, election fraud. And by the way, I just have to say, if he was right about this, maybe he's right about all the election fraud stuff that he keeps talking about. Uh, There's a problem in the news media, guys. Why, Why do I talk about this as a pastor? Because I feel like it's my obligation at this point, because there's so many liars out there that are telling you what they want you to hear. Oh, by the way, Joe Biden coming into office, guess who's he's putting, guess who he's packing his cabinet with? All big tech companies, Twitter, Facebook, Google, all the big tech companies, they're all going to be on his side. So they're all going to be controlling information, what you hear. This is why it's more important than ever to subscribe to the deep end down below. It's so more important than ever to get yourself to church where your mental health is going to be happier and healthier. It's more important than ever that you 
that, that, that you find yourself rooted not in the messages of the age or the mantras of our world, but in the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is the deep end news. And that is what I am so happy to bring to you because you got to get the news. You got to get the truth somewhere. Why not here? And then we have viewer questions today. One last question to close out 2021. And it's a good question. So let's get into the deep end questions. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, viewer questions on the deep end, and we got a good one here. I like this question. Let's put it up on the screen. Um, this is from one of our most avid watchers, Chloe and Diego, also named Larissa. Hello, Larissa, Chloe and Diego. The question is, why do we always emphasize the death of Jesus and that, quote, Jesus died for our sins, end quote, especially to new and non-believers? Why don't we emphasize some other aspects of Jesus quite as much? For example, Jesus came to show us how to live or Jesus came to teach us to love one another or Jesus came to bring us back to God. What is it about his act of dying that is so significant compared to all the other amazing things he did? Can I just say thank you so much, Larissa, for this question? This is, you have teed this up for me. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, The death of Jesus is the most important work of Jesus. Now, some would say the resurrection and I agree, but you don't get the resurrection without the death. And the fact of the matter is, Larissa, that Jesus told us he came to die. This was his mission from birth, to die for our sins. Okay, it is prophesied in Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus comes. You know, bruised for our, uh, he was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. You know, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. He made his grave with the wicked and in a rich man. In, in a rich man's uh, tomb in his death. Isaiah 53, the most accurate prediction of the work of Jesus, right? It is the centerpiece of Christian faith that Jesus died for our sins because the most important thing that Jesus could do was to solve our disconnection with God. And the reason why we have a disconnection with God is because of the Garden of Eden moment where we sinned in Adam and Eve and walked away from God and therefore were disconnected from God. And every problem on the planet since the Garden of Eden is because of sin. Sin is not something we do as much as it's something that we are. We are sinners. We are sinners who need salvation. We need forgiveness of sins. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, death. There's no forgiveness of sins. All the Old Testament sacrifices were about putting away your sins through the death of an animal. Well, Jesus is the final substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. And he stated himself on many occasions that he came to die. Matthew 20, verse 28, the son of man has come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, uh, John chapter 10, 18, he says, I, I, I've come to lay down my life. Um, there were... Um, some people who wanted more of what you mentioned here in your question, the miracles, the powerful acts. These were the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. They come and they say, we want to see a sign. Give us a sign that you're really who you say you are. And Jesus says, listen, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. That's an interesting thing for Jesus to say, right? What is the sign of Jonah? Well, he, he describes it. Jonah went into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So the son of man will go into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. He's talking about his burial. He's talking about his death. The only sign that people demand a sign to, that people that de, who demand a sign are going to get is the sign of his death. Why? Because he's not here to perform. He's not here to put on a show. He came to die for our sins. Now, to your point about Jesus coming to show us the way to live. That's also not true in, in some respects because Jesus said some things that we don't do. New Testament rules that Jesus laid down, we don't do. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. Do you have both hands? <laughs> I'm sure they've caused you to sin. How about gouge out your eye if, if, you, if it causes you to sin? Um, you know, or uh, even the command about do not lust, do not have anger in your heart. You know, these things that we, we still do, Because Jesus is talking about the fact that you're so sinful, you're so bound by sin, there's no solution to sin other than his sacrifice for sin. Got it? That's why 
We emphasize the death of Jesus for our sins so much because man's greatest problem is his separation from God because of sins. And so Revelation sums it up. Most beautifully, I think, Revelation 5, 9 says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, the lamb who was slain, to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain, you were killed, and by your blood you ransomed, that's bring back, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So, so Larissa, the most important thing that Jesus ever did was to die for our sins. And yes, to rise again, but when we are referring to the death of Jesus, we are also referring to his resurrection because you don't get the resurrection without the death, right? I bring you one more example from the Bible, from the Gospels. John chapter 6, Jesus does the miracle of feeding of the 5,000 or the or the 6,000, I forget, five, four or 5,000. I forget which one it was. But anyway, then the next day they come and they find him on the other side of the lake in John chapter 6 after that meal from yesterday and they want more free food. They want what you just said. They want the miracles. They want the good life. They want what Jesus can do for them and how Jesus can help them. And, and he says these words in John chapter six, he says, truly, truly, I say you are, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your full of the loaves. In other words, you wanted what I could give you. And then he says this, do the work, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him, the father set a seal. Then they said to him, now listen to this, Larissa, verse 28 of John six. Then they said to him, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. And Jesus said this, his answer, this is the work of God that you are to do. Believe in him whom he has sent. Believe. Not go to church, not, not say your prayers, not do good things for other people. As important as all those things are, and as Christians, we should do them, but we're not Christians until we believe in Jesus and in his substitutionary death for our sins. When you eliminate the necessity of Jesus's death, you you de-escalate the problem of sin. The, the, when you say it's not that important that he died, that was more like a, a martyr's death. It was not a martyr's death. It was a substitutionary atoning death. It was a sacrificial death. It was an offering for our sins. When you, when you de-escalate or de-emphasize the death of Jesus, you also de-emphasize or de-escalate the problem of sin in the human heart. And every problem, from racism to poverty, to classism, to sexism, to misogyny, to all the other things that we have a problem with right now in our world is because of sin in our hearts. And we need that to be healed. And Psalm 103 says he heals all of our diseases and he forgives all of our sins. That's what Jesus came to do through his death. And that, Larissa, is why we emphasize, that's why we emphasize the death of Jesus over every other thing that Jesus said and Jesus came to do outside of his death, burial, and resurrection. One third of the gospels deal with his death, burial, and resurrection. One third of all the material. So it's important to the, <laughs> the first people who were there with Jesus. It should be important to us, right? Okay, so anyway, thank you for the question, Larissa. Send your questions uh, to the deep end. I will put it up here on the screen at 508-316-9333. Uh, this is for the new year or ask at thedeepend.tv. So 508-316-9333. For those of you who are listening, you can text anonymously or ask at thedeepend.tv or down here in the comments right below. At where? Where do you go for The Deep End? You don't go to Facebook anymore, I hope. You don't go to Waters Church uh, Facebook anymore. You go to youtube.com slash thedeependtv. That's where you go to watch and listen to The Deep End. So please, please, please hit the like button down below. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell at youtube.com slash thedeependtv. I want to drive all of our traffic to our YouTube uh, page uh, going forward. So like, subscribe, and follow us there. Okay? Does this sound good? Sound like a plan? Do we have a deal? Thanks so much. It's time to get into the life of David for the last time in 2020. Let's go. Okay, the life of David, and we are moving right along in episode 10 of season four of the deep end. We are in first Samuel chapter 25 and I have titled this message. I have titled this talk, the odd story of an old fool, 
the odd story of an old fool. First Samuel chapter 25 is going to introduce us to a guy named Nabal. Nabal is married to a girl named Abigail. Nabal is a rich uh, shepherd or sheep farmer, if you will. His wife's name is Abigail. She's wise. She's discerning. She's beautiful. And then there's David. Absent from 1 Samuel chapter 25 is any mention of Saul. Is any mention of Israel, really? Is any mention of uh, the kingdom? And really anything else? Like, we've been dealing pretty exclusively up to this point in the Deep End Season 4, Life of David talk, with the Saul-David issue. Saul, the king that was chosen by the people. You could say the elected king. (laughs) What does that say about elections? Um, Saul, the chosen king of the people. David, the chosen king of God that everybody overlooked. The non-choice of the people. And then 1 Samuel comes along. And we find this story about, we hear the story about Nabal, this guy named uh, who's, who's, named, who's named for the word fool in Hebrew, his wife Abigail, uh, and then David shows up, and there's this real, like, you know, issue between these two men, and it just seems like so out of place, and it's like kind of nowhere, and you think, what is going on? And let's get back to the story, and this is what the Bible does a lot. The Bible often interjects a mini story into a big story, Okay. This is why I love Deep End, because we can get a little bit deeper into um, the structure of the Bible, the way the Bible narrates, you know, um, people don't understand the Bible. Uh, I remember there's, I think it was a Daily Beast article. That's another horrible news site about why the Bible was so poorly written. (laughs) I love when 21st century uh, secularists love to judge the Bible by their (laughs) standards rather than ancient Hebrew writing standards. Well, an ancient Hebrew writing uh, standard was to embed a story within a story. And usually that story is a personal story within the larger narrative of the larger story. I'll give you an example. Uh, There's a story about a guy named Joseph who has dreams and he's going to be the anointed savior of uh, his brothers who goes into Egypt as a slave. And then he becomes the prince of Egypt and he provides grain for the nations during a time of famine. But if you read the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis, it's from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. It's the last story of Genesis. There's this story that's interjected about Judah sleeping with his daughter-in-law and having children through her and kind of being tricked into sleeping her, with her and she being more righteous than he. And it just seems out of place. And you think, well, why is that story in the middle of the story about Joseph and all of his betrayal and all of his rise uh, to glory in the kingdom of Egypt? And the real issue is because this is how the Hebrews tell stories. They tell stories within a story because they want to drive the point home to the reader. They, they want to... They want to help you get in the story is what I'm trying to say. So here in 1 Samuel 25, there's a story within the story. And the story within the story is about this guy named Nabal. And he's going to fall into the larger point. It seems out of place. It seems pointless to tell the story. It's not. I'm telling you, this is the Bible's way of saying that we have framed for you a bigger picture Kingdom of Saul, kingdom of David, okay? Kingdom of Saul, kingdom of David. We have framed this bigger picture for you. And now we want you to find, we want you to ask the question, where are you in the story? So let me do this. Let me do this. Let me put the frame up on the screen. Kingdom of Saul here on the left, self-absorbed and insecure. And we've gone over this before in the deep end. Every moment is about himself, right? Every moment is about Saul. Uh, and then we can see in Saul's kingdom, everyone is a suspect. Everyone is a threat. He's willing to kill for his kingdom, even his own son, if necessary. He's willing to kill his own son for heaven's sakes. Uh, and then we have the fact that he is estranged from everyone he loved and he's on the road to self-destruction. That's the kingdom of Saul on the right. The kingdom of David, he is selfless. He is dependent on God. He's willing to risk his life for others. He's wounded by the Lord through this whole thing with Saul. He's made useful to those wounded in the kingdom of Saul. So the people in the kingdom of Saul, people are coming over to David. He's contrite. He's compassionate. He's hungry for God. We talked about all this. And then he's ready to serve others. This is the kingdom of David. Now, we all have also have talked about the fact that this is a larger picture for what? The kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Saul, 
and the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The framework, this is how you're supposed to read the story, by the way. This is how you're supposed to read the story of David. It is not a moral um, agenda. It's not trying to tell you to be like David. No, it's trying to help you find your way out of the kingdom of Saul and into the kingdom of David because there is a larger kingdom of Saul, the kingdom of Satan, this world, which is dominated by the God of this age. And then underneath the auspices of the kingdom of this world is the kingdom of Jesus, the unseen exilic, if you will, in exile kingdom that everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs to. Let me put another thing here up on the screen about the kingdom of Saul and kingdom of David. The kingdom of Saul is passing away. It is passing away. That's exactly what we see happening over and over again as we read through the life of David. The kingdom of David, however, is arriving. It's making inroads into the kingdom of Saul. And, and, and people are moving out of the kingdom of Saul into the kingdom of David. That's what we see in the narrative here. This is so important for us as we read through this narrative. Don't moralize these stories. In other words, the stories are not saying, don't be like David, be like, don't be like Saul, be like David. It, it is kind of, it is an example, but it's more important to see it as the bigger picture of what God is doing to bring people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his marvelous light, even today in the new covenant through the son of David, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you a scripture to remind you that the kingdom of Saul is passing away. Remember 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, three chapters ago, it says, everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, this is important. These are important words. And everyone who is bitter in soul gathered to David, gathered to David, and he became commander over them, and they were with him, about 400 men. These words are intentional, guys. They're intentional because they're showing us who we are in the kingdom of Jesus. We come to Jesus in distress. We come to Jesus in debt. Debt to, uh, um, in sin. Matthew's gospel most often uses the word debt to refer to the, to the sin problem we have with God. That's why Matthew's uh, Lord's prayer is forgive us our debts. And Luke's Lord's prayer is forgive us <clears throat> our trespasses. We are in debt to God through our sin. So we come to Jesus in distress. We come to Jesus in debt and we come to Jesus in bitterness of soul. There's the deep thing going on in here. There's hardship inside. There's hurt inside. There's pain. There's jealousy. There's animosity. There's anger. There's resentment. There's all these things that God has to root out of us. How does he do it? He brings us out of the kingdom of Saul into the kingdom of David, out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of David, and we are set free from our sinful nature through our transmission into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. Now, to that end, the story of Nabal speaks because Nabal is a very rich man who hates David and is aligned with Saul. And the end of the story, we're going to see that Nabal actually loses his life because he is so bound up in the kingdom of Saul, the kingdom of this age, that he has only scorn and derision for the kingdom of David. And it exposes for us something. It exposes us for us the largest obstacle in our way between us and the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Jesus. You know what that large obstacle is? It's right here. It's money. It's, it's, the, it's the almighty dollar, right? I mean, we put, we, sh, we, it put, we put in God we trust on the dollar. <laughs> it should say, in this God we trust. That's what it should say. Okay, so the almighty dollar. This is a rich man who wants his riches to continue under the kingdom of Saul, and he hates David, and he despises David, and he rejects David. And he misses out and he loses his life. And Abigail, his wife, is the exact opposite. I hope that helps you understand what this story is about. This is why. This is so cool about how the Hebrew narrative works. There's a story within the story to draw you into the story and to ask you the question, where's your heart? Is your heart in the kingdom of this world or is your heart in the kingdom of David? And the way to tell, the way to tell is in your wallet. 
It's in your wall, and we're going to get there as we continue. So 1 Samuel chapter 25, the test of your heart is administered in your wallet. The test of your heart is administered in your wallet. Let's get into it. Verse 1, 1 Samuel 25. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the, David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So David has lost the only guy who still believes in him, other than his 400 men who are in debt, distressed, and bitterness of soul. He has lost his mentor. He has lost the guy who's been fighting for him in the spirit realm, and now he's alone. And so he goes off into the wilderness. You would too, okay? He's still hiding and running, from, running and hiding from Saul. And remember that Saul has just confessed that David will be king. That happened last chapter. So it's come out of Saul's mouth. And now Samuel dies because Samuel's work is done. He has taken Saul out of the equation, spiritually speaking, and David is established as the spiritual leader of Israel. Um, Let's go on. So verse two says this, and this is, we get right to the story. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. Okay, this is so important. And this is so cool. We're We're gonna see why this is cool in just a moment. There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. He was very rich. When the Bible says very rich, that's seriously rich. And he's so seriously rich. He has 3,000 sheep. He has 1,000 goats. And in those days, this is enormous wealth, enormous. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. These are all important terms. We're going to see why in just a moment. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Okay. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's unpack this. He's, his business is in Carmel. Why does that mention because in 1 Samuel 15, verse 12, you can look it up yourself. Uh, it talks about the fact that it was in Carmel where Saul built a monument to himself. So, so Carmel would have been the New York City of the, Saul, the kingdom of Saul, the financial district, if you will, where Saul himself had built a big tower, a monument to himself, to glorify himself, to bring a name to himself, recognition to himself. This is... Carmel, and whose business is there? Nabal, shearing sheep, by the way, was payday for uh, the agricultural um, shepherd farmers of the ancient world. So when they sheared their sheep, big financial windfall coming into their house. He's doing this business in Carmel, the epicenter, the financial epicenter of Saul's kingdom. He's, what I'm trying to say is, he is tied in strong into the kingdom of Saul. Then it mentions that he has this woman in his house named Abigail, his wife. She's discerning. She's beautiful, but he's harsh and badly behaved. So what do we have here? We have the Bible's beauty and the beast. (laughs) Nabal's the beast. Abigail's the beauty. And the story has just begun. Let's continue. Verse four. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David hears, wait a second, this guy is shearing his sheep. And and, and you're going to find out in the story that David had been protecting his shepherds. Nabal's shepherds this whole time as he wandered through the wilderness because David has a protective heart. Well, he has a request and he goes like this. Verse five. So David sent, uh, sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him, peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at your hand to your servants and to your son, David. Now, David has no money. He has no you know, financial means. He's struggling. He's, but what is he doing? He's, he's kind of hiring himself out as a mercenary to local shepherds and, and owners of shepherds. And one of which is named Nabal. And he says, Nabal, listen, uh, we've been helping you out. My guys have been protecting your guys. My guys have been protecting your sheep. Uh, we made sure that nothing was lost. We made sure that you and your uh, team, you were all healthy and you were all in good, uh, a good place. And I'm just saying, maybe you could give us some food. Maybe on the feast day, right? Because feast days in Israel are supposed to be days of sharing, according to the law. And so he's just saying, look, according to the law, maybe my guys could come over since we did this kindness for you. Maybe my guys could come over and they could get a, a meal from you. And, and, and it doesn't go well. It goes poorly, actually. Verse nine, when David's young men came, they said, to the, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited. Verse 10, and Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? 
Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread, my water, my meat, and all I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who have come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. Okay, now, (laughs) I love how disingenuous Nabal is. His question is, who is David? He knows exactly who David is. He knows he's the son of Jesse. He also knows that he broke away from Saul. Uh, (laughs) I mean... Give me a break, Nabal. It is so obvious that you are just trying to avoid what you should do, which is provide for David's men because they've been good to you. You've been running from God. And you know why you're running from God? Because of this. Most people run from God because of this. They put more trust in money than in God. It's a big, hard issue. So anyway, um, look on the scripture one more time because he, he makes it real obvious where his heart is. My bread, my water, my meat my shearers, okay, and give it to men I don't know. It's all about me. Nabal's response to David is, is based on his greed, his, his inevitable, his incredible wealth has gripped his heart and he can't find it in his heart to be generous. Verse 13, and David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. David wants to kick butt. <laughs> and every man strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the baggage. I'm sorry, I said 400 men with David. There's actually 600. So David's about to do some damage to Nabal. Verse 14, the story takes a sudden turn. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. He railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us. Now, this is Nabal's own servant. The men were very good to us and we suffered no harm and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields. As long as we went with them, uh, they were a wall to us both day and night, all the while while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man. He is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. By the way, have you ever noticed that the people who love money, who love finances, you, they won't listen to people. There is, the, money blinds people and it deafens people and it, and it makes them stingy and nasty to everybody. The man's testimony tells them too, this guy was a wall to us. The words are, are intentional. This guy, David, was a wall to us day and night. Like this is not 2020. There's no police force in the ancient world. There's no military. You had, you had to hire people to defend your sheep. And, and the richer you were, the more you had to pay to hire men to protect your goods. Nabal basically gets this free security service from David and then scorns David because he's wealthy and he's filled with a love of money. Now, this guy goes and reports to Abigail, Nabal's wife, and Abigail does this. Verse 18, Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five steers of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. Now she is packing. <laughs> she's packing wine. She's packing sheep. She's packing meat. She's packing raisins. She's packing figs. She's ready to give. That's the difference between her and Nabal. She's ready to give. He want, he's greedy. She's giving. And verse 19 says, she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Why do you think she didn't tell him? Because he wouldn't listen. Because she's she's smart enough to know. She's wise and understanding. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Okay? So as she approaches, look what it says. Now, David had said, verse 21, surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missing of all that belonged to him. And he has returned evil to me for good. Then verse 22, God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Now, the only thing that you don't see in the English in this text is that David is pretty much cursing Nabal out here. He's like The, the English often does this with the Hebrew. It softens it. It tempers it because we're Christians and we can't handle bad language. So the Hebrew, much more forceful, much more edgy. David is ticked off. I just remind you, though he is a picture of Christ, he is not Christ. So he's about to basically wipe out a whole village. He's about to do something very evil here because he's mad. All right. But something beautiful happens. This woman, Abigail, she intervenes and stops him from doing evil. So let's take a look at how it goes down. When Abigail saw David, 
She hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed down to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Now, this is important. Let your servant speak and hear the words. What, remember that we've been talking about this with First uh, Samuel. We've been talking about the fact that First Samuel is, is a lot about listening and not seeing. Saul was the king of what people saw. David was the king of what Samuel heard. Samuel wanted to make the taller, more handsome, more, you know, military looking brothers of David king. And God said, don't look on the outside. Listen to my voice. I'm looking at the heart. Listen to me. And right again, here David is modeling for us in the text what we are being asked of in the entirety of 1 Samuel. Remember, Hannah's prayer is heard and Samuel was born. That's how we get this whole story. Um, why do I press it on that? Because Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We live by what we hear, not by what we see, what we have heard, the, who has believed the report of the Lord, Isaiah 53. We've got to listen to God, not just judge our world by what we see or ourselves by what we see. Listen to God. So anyway, hear the words of your servant. Back to Abigail's words. Verse 25, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is name and folly is with him. So the word Nabal actually is fool in Hebrew. And she's basically saying, you know what? He's, he's living up to his name, David. <laughs> uh, so then it says this, but I, your servant, did not see the young men my, of my Lord whom you sent. Going on, because this is a long speech from Abigail. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and saving with your own hand. Now then let, my, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Let those who are going to attack you be foolish. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. Abigail is doing some amazing prophetic work right here. By the way, the woman is the voice of God in this moment. The woman is the voice of the Lord. The woman is the voice of wisdom. Anyone who tells you the Bible is anti-women has not read the Bible. I'm so tired of the seculars claiming to be feminist. <laughs> scripture is pro-woman. And, and many times women stop men from doing stupid things in the scriptures. So anyway, she says some things that are important here. The Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. She's backing up with Samuel. So, so he loses Samuel. Now she, he's got Abigail. Isn't that crazy too, how God provides David with Abigail right after Samuel dies? God's always going to have a voice for you that you should listen to when you're in his flock. He's always going to provide a shepherd. You got to just watch out for it. He, he, he'll care for you. And then he says, then she says, the Lord, my Lord, David, you are fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you. In other words, you got to be pure, David. You, you got to be righteous because you, you're going to be king. The Lord knows this. I know this and you know this. So don't do something wicked. Shouldn't be in your life uh, going on. By the way, Abigail has the longest speech in this entire chapter and she's a woman, okay? Verse 29, if men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. I love that line. I love that line. The life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. Wow, beautiful. And the lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Uh, and then it goes on. Sorry, I'm losing my connection here with my computer. Just gonna fix it real quick if you don't mind. Okay, there we go. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according, all to the, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pains of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord or, or, or for my Lord working salvation for himself. Now look at that. I don't want you to have guilt in, working to, in, in trying to work salvation for yourself, David. I want you to trust the Lord. I want you to remember that it's not by the, the sword or the bow that the Lord delivers. It's by his word. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So I, I'm, I'm praying that you help me when, when the Lord does all this for you. Abigail is a woman of faith and she is just the balm that David's soul needs at this moment. I wanna, I wanna press in here. She's just the balm. David's frustrated. He's been running from Saul. He's been helping Nabal. He's been working hard to protect 600 men who have fled from the kingdom of Saul into the kingdom of David. And all the while, he's been scorned and rejected. And she is the voice that he needs at this moment. She's, she's just the balm he needs. She gives him perspective. And sometimes you need somebody like Abigail to give you perspective. And the word of God is the 
source of perspective. The word of God reminds us that this world is not all that there is. The word of God reminds us that there is a life to come. There is a world yet to come. So all that we have here is not the end. And all that we can gain here is not going to last. So we've got to have that word of God come into our hearts, come into our ears to remind us and give us perspective on what's really important in our lives. Um, she's telling him, look, the Lord's going to keep you from shedding innocent blood. The Lord is going to watch over you. The Lord is going to fight your battles. And, and she even does something else. She protects David from himself. He could have been his own worst enemy here. He could have, because he could have gone hog wild and killed the entire family of Nabal, Abigail included. And Abigail's voice of wisdom keeps him from doing so. And then you see the polarity between Nabal and David. Here, Nabal has this woman living in his house for who knows how long, and he won't listen to her. And David does. David listens to the voice of Abigail. It's just a beautiful picture. Now, Abigail is also another picture for us here. She's a picture of a heart surrendered to Christ in the area of money and possessions. Nabal is greedy, doesn't want to give David a red cent. Abigail is ready to provide him food and uh, figs and, you know, just a a buffet of food and, and care for him and his men. She's ready to give. Why? Because she is a picture of people who have surrendered their heart to Christ. I want to put this up on the screen again to remind us of this, this theme. Kingdom of Saul, kingdom of David. Passing away kingdom, the kingdom of this world. In the kingdom of this world are a bunch of fools. Nabals. Okay, let me press in here. This is so good. Most times in the Bible, when it addresses a person who's in love with money, it refers to that person as a fool. This happens again and again and again. It happens in the Old Testament here with Nabal. Uh, It happened with Lot. Lot lost his wife because he loved the lush, fertile valley of the Jordan and he dwelt near Sodom and Gomorrah. It happens later in Israel's history with Hezekiah, who was foolish enough to show the Babylonian emissaries all of his wealth in the storehouse of God, and they just plotted to take over Israel from that moment forward. Hezekiah was a fool because of that. Turn to the New Testament, and his fool and money constantly. The rich young ruler walks away sad from Christ because he, he loved money. He was a fool. He lost eternal treasures because he loved money that much. Then there's the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. It actually calls him the rich fool who built bigger barns because he made a lot of money. So he built bigger barns. And then he said to himself, eat, drink, be merry, relax for many years. You have many goods stored up. And God says to him that night, Luke 12, 21, you fool, tonight your life is required of you. I'm sorry, that's Luke 12, 20. And Jesus says, so is the person who stores up all this wealth for themselves, Nabal, fool, and is not rich toward God not rich toward the kingdom, the church, the gospel. So you got to understand that the, 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 the number one thing, the big issue in our hearts with God is this, money. This is why Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. You're going to love one or hate the other. And, he, and, he, and then he says, the masters that I'm talking about are God or mammon, wealth. If you're going to serve God, you can't serve wealth. If you're going to serve wealth, you can't serve God. You've got to surrender your wealth and you've got to surrender your desire for wealth to God. This is what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 9. Listen, it says people who long to be rich. Look, you don't even have to be rich to have this problem. You just have to want to be rich. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many, there's the word, foolish, foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I quote Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott missionary to the Aka Indians in the 1950s, lost his life as he landed on the shore to bring the gospel to those people who his wife later reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jim Elliott said that. You're giving up your life to go witness to natives in Aka? What's the deal, Jim? He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. This world, this kingdom, the kingdom of Saul, to gain what he cannot lose, 
the kingdom of David. And so you have Abigail, beautiful, discerning. She's entering into the kingdom of God. She's laying down her her financial life at the feet of the Lord Jesus, well, at the feet of David, but she's a picture for us of a heart surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Jesus said very famously in Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter six, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Please listen to me very carefully. Your heart, your affections, your desires will follow where you put your money. There is a string attached from your money to your heart. And wherever you put this, your heart will suddenly care about it. You put it into a house, a new house. You put it into new things, a new car. Suddenly everything is about that car. Everything is about that house. Don't get it dirty. Don't, don't touch it. Don't breathe on it. Don't go near it. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're in love with your possessions, some people are inordinately in love with their collections, their things. Their, they can't even, uh, uh, you know, fathom losing them. They become pack rats. They become obsessed with owning and having and collecting. And it becomes their heart issue. Some people, you know, you buy a stock and suddenly you care so much about this company that you formerly did not care about. The, the, illust- the, the illustrations go, could go on and on and on to describe the fact that your heart will follow your money. So my question is, is your money going into the kingdom? Is your money going to the kingdom of God? Do you want your heart to be going to the kingdom of God? Is your money going to the kingdom of God? Let me talk to some people who have large inheritance that are going to go to pagan children. If your children are pagans, the worst thing you can do is leave your entire inheritance to them. Are you crazy? You're basically funding the kingdom of darkness. I hate to say it, but you're basically funding the kingdom of darkness. Put that money into the kingdom of light. Give it to organizations like Compassion International, American Bible Society, your local church. Yes, it's not unfathomable to put your, your inheritance into the local church to provide for the gospel preaching. Make sure it's a gospel preaching church. To provide for gospel preaching, to go out into the world and to win people out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Saul, into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus. That's sending your treasure to where it cannot rot, rust, or be stolen. That is wisdom, Abigail. That is beautiful in the eyes of God. Got it? Because this is, this is the thing. I'm just trying to tell you. This is what keeps people out of the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Jesus. Money, finances, possessions. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of, his, eye of a needle. Basically, it's impossible. God needs to change the heart to bring somebody into that kingdom. Amen. All right, let's go on. Verse 32. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and working salvation with my own hand. In other words, Abigail, you kept me from myself. By the way, wisdom keeps us from ourself. Read the book of Proverbs. It'll keep you from a whole host of hurt that you could bring on yourself. Verse 34, for as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurt and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, grow up in peace to your house. See, have I obeyed your voice and have granted your petition. And Abigail, verse, 20, uh, verse 36, came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house. So this guy just loved to party. <laughs> like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. Of course not, because he doesn't listen. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things. His heart died within him and he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Game over for Nabal. The man who loved money. Game over for the man who loved money. And it is game over for every person who loves money someday. It is game over. What are you doing with your life beyond this life? What are you investing in the, in your, with your money into things beyond you? This is why you tithe. This is why you give Beyond the tithe, the tithe is one-tenth of your income. I believe it goes to the local church and I believe it is a test of your faith and it trains your heart to give. The tithe is, it's Christmas time. You're going to buy things for everybody. The Lord first, friend, not buying things for the Lord. I'm saying your money first to the Lord. I have it set in my account that it goes out first thing before savings, before anything else. I live by the principle 10, 10, 20, 80. 10% tithe, 
10% savings, and then 80% I trust God with. I, I spend wisely. I, 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 we, my wife and I, we give beyond the tithe to organizations we trust. This is the heart of Abigail, a heart of wisdom and beauty in the eyes of the Lord. Let's go on. Look what happens because it's not done. This story gets really cool. Look what it says. Verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has avenged this insult. I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Ab- Abigail to take her as his wife. When, verse 40, the servants of the Lord, uh, the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel. They said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. This is important. The servants of David go and fetch a wife for David. David is Jesus, a picture of Jesus, and the servants go out and bring Jesus, his bride. That's so cool. So preachable. She rose, she bowed her face to the ground. She said, behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey and her five women. By the way, remember Jesus tells the story of five wise virgins. Do you think he got his idea from here? Five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. This is a picture of what Jesus does with the church. He brings people out of the kingdom of Saul and he brings us not just into his house. He makes us his bride. I know this is hard for dudes to hear. I get it. It's not that kind of bride. It's that we are joined with him, heart and soul. We are joined with God almighty in the person of Jesus Christ. He is in our lives. We are in him. He abides in us. We abide in him and we are empowered with the power of God inside of us through Jesus Christ who brings us into himself. This is so beautiful. Verse 43, David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Machel, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who is of Galem. Th- this is just a note, of, note that, you know, David is doing this for more than one woman. And of course, it is not permission to marry more than one wife because his wives will be his downfall. His lusts of the flesh will be his downfall. We'll get to that part of David's life. But this is the big picture that we want to talk about one last time. What kingdom are you in? Are you a fool living in the kingdom of Saul or are you beautiful and discerning living in the kingdom of David? The choice, my friend, is yours and it is the most important choice that you can make. I want to close out by saying one last thing. Everyone is a fool about something. The gospel is foolishness to our folly. So maybe money is not the issue for you, but there's something else you're just being a fool about. You're surrendering your opportunity in the kingdom of God for that thing. What is your foolishness? The gospel is foolishness to your foolishness. In other words, it's the, it's the double negative to your foolishness. The gospel is the message that Jesus died and rose again for you to bring you back to God, to do away with your sins, to cleanse your heart from the biggest obstacle between you and him. The problem of sin And God saves us through the blood of Jesus so that we might live like God on this earth. Amen. I love chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. Don't you now? And by the way, this is one of those stories that every time I read through, I was like, what is this all about? about? I don't even understand it. And this study has blessed my heart probably as much as it's blessed yours, maybe even more. I was preaching to myself today or teaching to myself today. I hope you got something out of it. Hey, please do this for me. Visit thedeepend.tv. Follow us on all of our social media accounts and make sure especially that you go to youtube.com slash thedeependtv, youtube.com slash thedeependtv. Uh, check out my book at timhatchlive.com slash books. Also, uh, if you would do me a favor and Support the deep end. Here's another way you can store up treasure in heaven. Support the deep end right here at uh, thedeepend.tv slash give. Many of you are giving. Thank you. Keep giving. It helps us make this thing what it is. Uh, let me put it back up there. Thedeepend.com slash thedeepend.tv slash give. Thedeepend.tv slash give or cash tag thedeependtv or paypal.me slash thedeependtv. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being here Uh, Today, it was my great pleasure to bring this content to you all year. 2020 is over for the deep end. Um, It is not over for you. Have a wonderful holiday season. Have another wonderful Christmas season. (laughs) Sorry, I even said holiday. Have a great Christmas. Happy New Year. I will see you in 2020. 
God bless you from the deep end. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.